worship God, not without his own faults, but he did great work towards having God as the main and the sole worship in Israel. And so he is held up as the ideal. And his family sit on the throne of Judah, but Ahaz doesn't follow in the tradition of David. Instead, it says he follows the tradition of the kings of Israel, the nation in the north from the divided kingdom. And every single one of the kings in Israel is judged by second kings as being a bad king. They all worship idols and make idol worship popular amongst um, Israel and the people. And so Ahaz follows in that tradition. He doesn't worship mainly uh, Baal, which is the common one, as you see throughout the Old Testament as being worshipped, but he worships the god Molech. And God is particularly angered by worship of Molech. It's cited even later in the passage in 2 Kings uh, about Ahaz as one of the reasons why Israel is going to go into exile later. It's also said that it's one of the reasons why uh, the nations that were in the land when Israel came in the conquest, conquest with Joshua and took down our Jericho story of taking down the walls of Jericho and all the conquests that happened in there. One of the main reasons why God supports Israel coming out and driving out these nations is because they worship Molech. And why God particularly dislikes Molech worship is because it, uh, one of the main components of it was child, uh, child sacrifice. And so King Ahaz partakes in this worship and sacrifices some of his own children to the god of Molech. And the way in which they sacrifice these children is very gruesome that it's not fit for a family-friendly service of saying how they go about it. But Ahaz sacrifices some of his own children to Molech. And so during Ahaz's reign in Judah in the south, we have King Pekah, who's reigning in Israel in the north. And north of Israel at this time is another nation called Assyria. And Assyria started uh, down towards, uh, a little bit southeast towards where Babylonia is on that map, uh, and started conquering, conquering their way up into the north, because basically in between Babylonia and where you see Jerusalem there is all desert, so no one really wants to conquer the desert. And so they go up north and start taking uh, land up there. And they're spreading towards uh, westward. And now they're situated north of where Israel is. And so Pekah, fearing this nation that's moving towards, and Assyria becomes one of the first uh, dominant empires in the ancient world. So Pekah develops a very anti-Assyria policy. And he decides that we have to get rid of these people before they come and take us. And so King Pekah teams up with uh, Syria, the king in Syria, uh, who's just to the northwest of them, uh, Damascus. Oh, it says Syria up there. Perfect. He teams up with Samaria or uh, Syria. And uh, they try to recruit Ahaz and Judah and say, hey, join with us. Let's combine forces and let's go take out Assyria before they come get us. And Ahaz says, no, I'm not interested. He's further south. He's feeling pretty safe at this point. He doesn't want to get involved. So Pekah decides that them and Syria are going to go down and they're going to attack Judah. They're going to get rid of King Ahaz. They're going to put a Syrian king on the throne there and then take their three combined forces and go fight Assyria. So this news of this 
alliance, which in history becomes known as the Syro-Ephraimite alliance in the Syro-Ephraimite war, they decide to come together and they go down to fight against Ahaz and Judah. And the news of this alliance reaches the ears of Ahaz and the people in Jerusalem and they become very afraid. So this is when God sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz. And so Isaiah goes and he takes one of his sons that he uh, is told to name an interesting name, which now I can't remember, but it, remember, it uh, means a remnant shall remain. And so he takes his son named a remnant shall remain and he goes over and uh, go meets Ahaz by the water supply of Jerusalem. As Ahaz is looking at it, preparing for a siege to come, make sure that their water is protected when Syria and Israel come. And uh, Isaiah comes with this word for Ahaz. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus, and Damascus is no stronger than its king, Rezin. As for Israel, within 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no, lo- is no stronger than its capital, Samaria, and Samaria is no stronger than its king, Pekah, son of Ramalia. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. God reaches out to Ahaz, And calls them to put his faith in him. Ahaz has been a worshiper of Molech and other false idols. And now the God of Israel and of Judah is reaching out to him. Calling him to repent. To turn away from his child sacrificing, idol worshiping ways. And start trusting in God and God's salvation. And God's offer to him. But God understands that Ahaz has been worshiping these false idols. And not God himself for so long. And so he offers him a sign so that he has knows he can put his trust in God. Isaiah says you can ask God for a sign. You can make it as difficult as you want and God will do it to prove that he's going to be faithful to this promise that he's making to you to prove that he can make this siege never happen. Ahaz could have asked to make the moon yellow and have a smiley face appear on it. I don't know. Make it turn into a disco ball at night and have a dance party. I don't know. He could have done anything as difficult as he wanted to make. But Ahaz must have had at least a little bit of knowledge of the law of God. For he says, oh, I won't test God. Because the law says, thou shalt not test the Lord your God. But this brings condemnation on Ahaz. Because Ahaz doesn't refuse the offer of the sign because he implicitly trusts God. He doesn't say, oh God, I don't need you to give me a sign because I know that you will follow through on your word. No, he refuses the sign because he's already got a plan in his mind that he wants to follow through instead, which we'll see in a little bit. So he says, I don't need a sign. I've got this. Don't worry about it. Whatever. And to be fair, he's try, uh, God's calling him to trust in an intangible thing. He just says, put your faith in me and this siege is not going to happen. In 65 years, Israel will be destroyed. In 65 years. But Isaiah says, well, you're going to get a sign anyway. And he says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. 
For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. Then the Lord will bring things on you, your nation, and your family, unlike anything since Israel broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria upon you. And so now we need to make a side note about this prophecy because it's one that many of us know so well because we read it every year at Christmas time. And so we hear our Jesus alarm going off. (laughs) And so while it does in the long term be fulfilled by Jesus, it also has a short term prophecy, which is more what Isaiah probably had in mind at the time and uh, and more uh, has more to do with our story this morning. And so, yes, the long term is Jesus, but in the short term, God's trying to tell him that uh, because Ahaz rejected God, God's going to use someone else to save Judah. And then disaster is going to come on Ahaz because he decided not to have faith in God. So it says the child is going to be born of a young woman. The Hebrew word here can mean either virgin or it could mean just a young woman. And to show the timeline, it says when the child is able to know the difference between right and wrong, so it grows up enough to have a little bit of a moral conscience, it will be eating yogurt and honey, which are luxury items in the ancient world. And so uh, by the time this child knows right and wrong, the fact that it has access and able to eat yogurt and honey, such luxury items, means that they're not going to be under oppression from Syria or Israel at that time. And so the siege wouldn't have happened. But because of his faithlessness, disaster is going to come on Judah anyway. And Assyria is going to come on them anyways. And so this prophecy, this young child that is uh, going to be born, uh, many believe it's likely his son Hezekiah, who we're going to talk about more next week. So in the short term, this prophecy seems to be talking about Hezekiah, the next king of Judah. In the long term, it's fully fulfilled in Jesus. So Israel and Syria come down and they start attacking the nation of Judah. Uh, Israel kills one of Ahaz's sons, kills Ahaz's second in command, and then kidnaps 200,000 of uh, Judah's women and starts taking them back to the city of Damascus in Syria. But as they're on the way there, this prophet named Obed comes and told, told them, you, Israel, have won victory over Judah because God is angry with the idol worship being led by King Ahaz. But now he is angry with you because you too always worship idols instead of God. And now you've slaughtered your brothers and sisters. So they probably overstepped their bounds. And now you're taking away their women. So what you need to do to be spared of God's wrath is to let them go back. And so the Israelite army listens to the prophet Obed. And they clothe the women, they feed the women, they set them on donkeys and send them back to Jerusalem. And during this time, the alliance also marches on Jerusalem, but they're unable to break through its walls. And now that Judah is so weakened, two other nations, Edom and Philistine, to take advantage and start capturing cities and pillaging and plundering and uh, kidnapping people. And it's at this point that Ahaz now sets his own plan in motion. He sends messengers to the king of Assyria, Tilglath-Pileser, to ask for his help. And in order to convince Tilglath-Pileser 
Assyria to, I'm going to switch to Assyria. In order to please Assyria, he plunders the temple of God, takes all the sacred gold and the valuables out of there and sends it up to Assyria. And the money is enough to convince him to mobilize his armies. So Assyria comes down and takes over Damascus, the capital of Syria. And so he conquers King Rezin, who dies in the battle. And so Pekah of Israel has lost his ally and moves away to start defending his borders against Assyria. By giving money to Assyria, Ahaz was putting Judah actually under control of Assyria. So there are many um, nations during this time who are praying, playing, paying tribute to Assyria. They're giving him money uh, to make sure that he doesn't totally destroy them. And this is actually a, uh, an artifact and one of these kings they believe is uh, King Ahaz and a couple of other kings coming and paying tribute. And we also have archaeological records of, um, from Assyria itself listing the kings that have paid tribute this month and how much they've paid to King Tiglath-Pileser and uh, King Ahaz of Judah is mentioned in there as well. And so uh, Ahaz ends up coming to Damascus uh, and it seems he comes with a few other kings to come pledge their allegiance to Assyria. And as he's in Damascus, he sees an altar to one of the gods of Syria. And he uh, really likes this altar. So he sketches it out and he sends it back to his high priest in Jerusalem and tells him to make uh, a replica of this altar. And by the time Ahaz returns to Jerusalem, the altar is complete. And so he comes and he offers a sacrifice to the gods on this altar. And then what he does is he goes into the temple of God and he takes out the altar that's in there that Solomon built the specifications of God himself and moves it into a less prominent spot in the temple of God, puts his new altar in that spot, and starts offering all the sacrifices on it. And so now offerings in God's own house is being offered to false gods. God's own presence is in that temple and in his presence they're offering sacrifices and from the list of sacrifices he gives it seems the same kind of sacrifices that God asks them to give uh, in the laws in Exodus and Leviticus but to a different God in God's own house. Second Chronicles says that the reason that Ahaz did this is because he saw that Syria, before it was conquered by Assyria, was strong. They kept coming and attacking his nation and winning over cities and killing his son and his second in command and capturing people. So he saw, oh, Syria's God is helping them and is really strong. So maybe if I worship this God, God that God will make us strong too. but he forgets that he refused Judah's God's help earlier. So Ahaz puts his trust in something tangible, Assyria and their military, rather than the promise of God. He didn't trust that God would sustain him and his people for 65 years until Israel is destroyed, and so decided to trust in the violent human power of Assyria instead. 
And when I try to place myself in stories, I like to place myself as the hero. I'm sure we all do. Especially when I come to the Bible, I like to place myself as, I don't know, like a Peter or a Paul before, well, after he becomes Paul and not Saul so much. But often when I read stories, I'm probably more like the not-so-great people. When I read the story of Ahaz, I'm probably more like Ahaz, the villain. I like to think that I'd have Isaiah come to me and say, don't worry about this. God promises 65 years, Israel's going to be destroyed. And if you want, I'll give you a sign. I like to think I'd say, oh yeah, please give me a sign and then trust in God. Or, or even better, if I'm thinking really ideally about myself, I'd be like, oh, I don't need a song. I know you'll come through, God. Don't worry about a sign. I'm going to trust in you. But more likely, I'm going to hear, in 65 years, Israel will be no more. Don't worry about this. And I'll be like, oh, that, that's great. That's great in 65 years. But that doesn't really help me now. So I'm going to go pay that big army to come save me. It's more likely how I'm going to go. And sometimes in life, it feels like there's armies marching towards us and we don't know what to do. Maybe we bring that to God and we hear, in a year or maybe in five years or 10 years or 65 years, this army's not going to exist. It's not going to be a trouble in your life anymore. God's got it. Now, that doesn't mean that God's not calling us to do nothing about it, to just sit back. We don't know what he was going to tell Ahaz to do because Ahaz didn't let it get that far. Ahaz just said, nope, I'm good. Often we want to jump to, well, I think if I do this and I move this around here, it's going to get done quicker than your 65 years or your five years or your 10 years or your one year. So we don't know what uh, God was going to call Ahaz to do, but we do have other examples in the Bible of people trusting in God's promises and calling them to do things. And we often see that it's not quicker uh, and often it's not easier, but it bears more fruit. We have Abraham, who's called to leave his family and his wealth behind. And he takes his wife and some of his servants and he goes into a land that God tells him. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation which translates, I'm going to give you lots of kids and lots of descendants. And Abraham travels around this promised land, living in a tent here and then moving here and living in a tent here for a while, never really owning this land that is also promised to him. And he doesn't have his first child until he's 100 years old. But through his patience and his trust in God, he becomes a father of faith and Jesus comes through his family line to bless the whole world. We have Moses, who's called out of the wilderness to return to his people in Egypt after he murdered a slave master in Egypt and to confront a powerful Pharaoh and to guide a stubborn and stiff-necked people through the wilderness. And those people's unfaithfulness to God causes him to have to wander in the desert for 40 years with them. But his faithfulness allows him to be considered a great prophet. Through him, the law comes to the people and a way in which to receive blessing and receive the promises of being a great nation and inheriting this land and being blessed and blessing others comes through this law that is given to him. 
And it's hard to get the worry of the situations that are right in front of us uh, out of our minds. But the decisions that we make in those moments don't just affect us, but can have consequences for others as well. My brother, or in this case, these sisters, has a toy or video game, make it a little more modern for some of us, uh, that I want to play. Now, the solution could be I could punch him in the face or steal the controller away from him. And then I have that glorious few minutes of playing until he runs and he cries or he complains to my parents. And then my parents come with the wrath of my parental figures and ground me. Or I could come up with a way we could play together. I could wait patiently, ask for my turn until he's done. And then when I get that controller, I can play free from the impending wrath of my parents. That bully who's at school who picks on me, I could, uh, you know, oh, there's a theme going on here. I could punch him in the face. <laughs> Just realize those two are the same. Uh, or, <laughs> or I could come back with a witty insult uh, and teach him to not mess with me. But he's probably just going to go to the next kid and that kid's going to get it worse. Or I can return the abuse that he gives me with kind words, with acts of kindness and wear down the hate and the loneliness that that bully feels and transform his heart through that friendship and that love and that grace that God can give me in those moments. That's a longer path and you're going to face some more abuse at the beginning doing that. But it's more fruitful for you and for that bully. I could hear the call and the plea for help from a neighbor, a coworker, a stranger, and ignore it and think, oh, I'm far too busy to deal with that right now, or someone else is going to jump in and do that. Or I can come in with aid, come with prayer, come with action, come help ease the suffering. Many of those options are harder and they take longer, and yet they sow the love of God and bringing situations more aligned with God's will. God reaches out to Ahaz and calls him to put his faith in him. Ahaz has been a worshiper of Molech and these other false idols for so long, and yet God reaches out and calls him and says, repent of your actions, of your idol worship, of your child sacrifice, and come back to me and trust in my salvation. We are all in need of that same kind of repentance. We've all had times where we've trusted in things other than God. We've trusted that if we throw some money at this situation, it will go away, at least for the short term. Or if we trust in this, instead we can get this done quicker. I think of maybe even this building we think there's a lot of money that we have to raise for this building. And I've heard of other churches who have offered sponsorships of parts of their building. You can name the library after your company if you give us some money. That's one way to solve it, I suppose. 
or we can trust what God's calling us to do. We have a school coming in, and we are excited about the opportunity, not just to have them here and offer them a space in which they can use for their school and help ease our mortgage a little bit, but also partner with them. And being able to do things for their kids and help grow that community as well. That's trusting in what we feel like God's calling us to do, rather than just saying, come lease our building and give us money. We've all trusted in other things other than God. We've stolen toys from our siblings that we wanted to play with. We've probably said some nasty things to people because they've said nasty things to us. In the first place, we have ignored the pleas for help of other people because we're far too busy or we think that someone else is going to jump in or you can insert your own situations that you have gone about without listening to God's will and just trying to get that action done. And so we all need to come and repent and say, God, I lift this situation up to you. I'm sorry that I haven't trusted you in the past with this, but I want to trust you in this. And so the worship team is going to come up and as we go through uh, these songs and worship to our God who is faithful to his promises, we will have prayer response people in the back who are willing to pray with us and